Welcome to another episode of Open Doors, Conversations with Heart of the Father. I'm your host, Jacqueline Harper. Open Doors is a conversation about inviting God's love, presence, and power into our hearts. We are friends and teammates from Heart of the Father Ministries who share in the mission of setting captive hearts free through Unbound Ministry. We're so glad you could join us. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. I'm really thrilled to have a friend, Dan Demite, with us. Dan is a Catholic speaker, retreat leader, and he's the founder and executive director of Damascus. Damascus is a youth summer camp that has several campuses that's reaching young people and enabling them to have encounters with Jesus. Dan has earned bachelor's degrees in theology and philosophy from the Ohio Dominican University and the Pontifical College Josephinium. And Dan lives with his wife, Amber, and children in Columbus, Ohio. Dan's great to see you. Yeah, Matt. Thanks for having me on your show. One of the things I, I love about Dan is he's a dreamer. And whenever I get together with Dan, he, he's got five dreams on the burner. And then if you talk to him long enough, he'll come up with some dreams for you. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not very good at dreaming. And, and every time I talk to Dan, he's like, well, what about this? Let's, let's try this. And uh, <laughs> it's good to have those people in your life. And, and Dan is a radical follower of Jesus. He loves the Lord and he is, there's a certain degree of fearlessness to your life, Dan. Oh. And uh, it's, it's really evident in the ministry that you do. So could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I grew up in Columbus and grew up in an amazing Catholic family. You know, I think that in, in retrospect, looking back at what God has done in my life, I think my desire to minister for him really was planted in seventh grade. I was on a mission trip and I encountered his face in the, the face of the poor. And I went home and I don't know if I was changed or if it was just the circumstances of life, but uh, my friends started to share with me their own brokenness. And before I knew it, in seventh grade, I had not one, not two, but almost a dozen of my classmates that were sharing with me their desires to commit suicide to, and they were cutting their wrists and ODing on pills. And my heart for people was broken. The poor on that mission trip and then the poor who were in my own school who didn't know the love of Jesus. And I remember feeling crippled and paralyzed, like, mom, I don't know what to do. Like, how do I help my friends? And, mm. you know, she, she gave me one of the best lessons uh, ever in life is just Dan, the best thing you can do for anyone is share the name of Jesus with them. And so, you know, going into my eighth grade year, I was planning uh, a retreat for my classmates. And we hosted our first retreat, myself and one of my friends hosted a retreat in our own school for our own classmates. And I think that's when my ministry life began. And uh, ever, like, ever since then, there's been a heart in me to lead people into a relationship with Jesus. And there was a lot of fine tuning that, you know, the world, the flesh and the devil loves to seduce us. Um, and so throughout high school, I, I started to worship more of the things of this world instead of the living God. And I remember my senior year when the things of this world started to lose their allure. You know, you you get the state ranking and you, you get into the colleges and you have the high GPA and you're like, wait, this doesn't this isn't mm. happiness. And and uh, I was praying in front of a crucifix in my bedroom one day and the Lord was just like, um, uh, this the reality of his self gift, I think, was manifested in my heart. 
And I heard him say, Dan, my love for you cost me my life. What does your love for me ever cost you? And I think it was at that moment where there was an exchange of lives where Jesus said, I, I gave you my life. And the only rational response when you come to know the love of Jesus on the cross is, Jesus, I give you my life in return as well. And I think that's when my, my missionary call was planted. And so Damascus is a community of missionaries. Our goal is to, uh, to raise up a, a missionary people and to live a missionary lifestyle and to, to wrestle with what does it look like to be a domestic missionary, to be a missionary disciple here in America proclaiming the gospel, not living for this world, but living in this world. And um, mm. so, yeah, it's been about 20 years since that time in front of the crucifix in my bedroom, uh, serving mm. the Lord. That, that exchange of lives is so important. And, and a lot of people have never really been, it's never really been proposed to them that way. A lot of times it's like, you know, go to church, uh, be faithful, do the right things, God will bless you kind of thing. But that really is a difference maker. I, I know for me, that was a difference maker when someone told me, hey, this is going to cost you everything. <laughs> I was yeah. like, oh, this is interesting. <laughs> yeah. No one's ever told me that. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's that. For a lot of us, it's the beginning is, is when you say, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm going to give you everything. So I, one of the things I, I love about your camp is the missionaries that you are raising up, these, these young disciples. I was just on a marriage retreat, and um, there was a priest there who was leading the retreat, and he had just been to Damascus. And he, he shared this story that, you know, when he was witnessing the way your missionaries were worshiping and praising God, he had to go back to the Lord and be like, we're okay, right, God? <laughs> like, like he just saw so much passion, and that's one of the the hallmarks I think of your missionaries is passion uh, for Jesus and and kind of an abandonment that mm. that he he had to like check himself. <laughs> Am I on fire for you, God? Like, you know, yeah, that's it's, funny. it's really amazing. Well, so, tell us more about Damascus. Yeah, you know, we're a community of missionaries seeking revival in the Catholic Church here in America, and it's. It's been a, a, a miracle explosion of God's grace. In 2016, we started Damascus uh, with four full-time young adults who said, yeah, we'll, we'll give our lives to this mission. And, and we now have 120 full-time missionaries going in the fall. We'll have about 150 full-time missionaries. And uh, they, they serve usually for two years or more. And so right now, you know, we're, we're discerning what's it look like. We're a transient missionary community where some will serve just for two years, others have been serving since the beginning and have an intention to serve with us for life. And so the it's a missionary uh, body that uh, primarily focuses on awakening the young church. And so we run camps, retreats, conferences for middle schoolers and high schoolers and allowing them to have a faith awakening to make Jesus the Lord of their life and to experience an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We've just seen really powerful miracles happen in young people's lives. And in 2016, when we started, we are serving about a thousand young people at our camp this year. We'll have three camps. We'll serve about 7,500 uh, young people across the U.S. We serve about another close to 20,000 kids on retreats throughout the year across the U.S. And so our hunger is to really reclaim this lost generation for Jesus. The youth, both our elementary, our high school, and our young adults, uh, Gen Z, uh, well, millennials were the first generation where there are now more people in America who identify with not being Christian with being Christian. And so 
We have lost the millennial generation. We have lost the uh, uh, Gen Z generation. And we are no longer a Christian nation. We are, we are a post-Christian nation. And it is time for us to actually, with authority, say, we're going to reclaim this, this young generation for Jesus. And if we want to reclaim our nation, we have to reclaim our youth, the middle schoolers, the high schoolers, the college-age students. And so they say age 13 is the average age when a young person makes a decision to stop living their faith. And that's a ridiculous age because a 13-year-old's not making a, a theological decision. They're not leaving the church because of, you know, um, some scandal. They're, they're just asking, where will I be happy? And where do I feel uh, loved and accepted? And the fact that the church mm-hmm. isn't a place where they feel belonging and happiness is a, is a problem. And so we're just trying to bring that, that relationship with Jesus through the Holy Spirit and the Holy Eucharist real and active in a young person's life. That's awesome. I mean, I know, I know for me, my, my conversion took place at, through the ministry of Young Life, which is an evangelical group that proclaimed the gospel through camps. And, and after going to a camp, I came home and, and a, a week later gave my life to Jesus. So it's profound work yeah. that you do. Even just in the experience of being loved and experiencing joy, and it, there's something very attractive about that. Yeah, well, and it, so let's, it's amazing how often kids don't feel that. <laughs> yeah, they're starving. Yeah. yeah. Um, so let's dive into the topic of of the gospel and and our proclamation of it because I think you have some really profound thoughts about how to proclaim it. And for me, I've been on a journey maybe the last couple of years. I like to do this sometimes is, is take a topic that's very familiar and that becomes almost trite or, you know, you think you know it and then to break it down and say, well, what is it exactly? You know, a statement like, well, Jesus died for you. You know, what, what does that mean? You know, and, and the result was, you know, this book that I just wrote called Free to Be Holy, which is all about how, how Jesus has made us holy uh, through his blood. So I'd, I'd love to do that with you, just to dive into this idea of the gospel. What is it, uh, and and maybe how how we can proclaim it? You know, going back to your your mom's advice, just how, how does the average person speak the name of Jesus to their friends? Yeah, yeah, I love that, Matt. You know, I think the when we think of deliverance ministry, we we hear Jesus proclaim the the words from Isaiah um, that he will bring, that he will proclaim liberty to the captives, right? And that that freedom comes, liberty to the captives, deliverance comes um, through proclamation. And that there's something so powerful that we often associate immediately, okay, if I'm doing deliverance ministry or inner healing ministry, there's there's an element of prayer ministry involved with that. But the proclaiming liberty to the captives is actually something we see uh, not only professed in Luke chapter four throughout the words of Isaiah, Isaiah, but also through uh, Jesus's own ministry, his first miracle and mm-hmm. Mark that you see this this demoniac uh, set free, and this miracle in Mark, it's he's it says he's in the uh, the synagogue preaching, and people are amazed by the authority by which he preached, and then in the midst of his preaching. The demon manifests, uh, and that's where Jesus is able to speak deliverance and freedom and cast the demon out. But it was actually the authoritative proclamation of the gospel that led to the manifestation that ultimately led to the deliverance. And 
And so when we understand not just what is the gospel or how do we preach the gospel, but to preach the gospel with one who has authority, that the, the gospel itself and the proclamation of the gospel is authoritative over evil spirits. When we start to minister like that, I, I believe that it's, it's through the proclamation, just through our natural preaching of the gospel, that people can be set free from the uh, demonic oppression. Yeah. In Romans, it says the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Yeah. It is the power. And, and so when we open up our lips, we're really, we are tied into his authority and, and what he wants to accomplish with us as we speak. It says the apostles proclaim the good news and he worked with them. Yes. Which is, which is a really powerful thing to know that God is working with you as you speak. And I, I've had a lot of moments like that where you have that lump in your throat, like, should I say something? Should I speak up? Or, or maybe you're in a, an intense kind of debate or conversation and you just begin to speak the name of Jesus and you can almost feel the atmosphere change. Yes. You, you feel authority rising up in you, but then you also, you see that God is doing something to soften their hearts or, or to change their, their thoughts. So tell us, what is, what is the gospel? What is the message? Yeah, you know, it's it's funny because there's a lot of different ways I could answer that, and I would love to kind of break that down. I think first and foremost, we use a word in in, in church a lot, the kerygma, which is, you know, the initial proclamation of the good news of the gospel. And the word kerygma comes from just this, this uh, original Roman context of the kerygma. It means proclamation or announcement, and it was an announcement used by the king for the people. Um, and it was often an announcement of victory. So if the king's out fighting a battle, if uh, if there's a battle that is won, the messenger would come back and announce this kerygma. And it was that the king has has victory over the enemy. And so the, the kerygma was that new territory has been claimed and that the kingdom is being advanced, right? It, it was a proclamation of victory. And so the, so often you hear the gospel proclaimed, but almost not even with a message of victory where there isn't. So the, the gospel is the message or the kerygma is the message that Jesus Christ has won victory over sin and death and all demonic strongholds, that Satan has been crushed, that the enemy has been put to death and that the new territory has been reclaimed, right? That this, this kingdom of this world was fallen to the enemy, the evil one. And yet through Jesus Christ, he came to reclaim this territory. And he didn't just come to reclaim the territory of this earth through Jesus Christ, but Jesus came to reclaim the territory, me, his sons and daughters. And so that I mm. have been reclaimed by Jesus Christ and that there, that Jesus has already won the victory. And, and so the initial, if, if you will, when I, when I preach the gospel, um, or even when I'm sharing the gospel in conversation with someone, right? The first announcement that I have to make to that person is that, did you know that Jesus Christ has won victory in your life? That Jesus Christ has already paid the debt of sin and pain and suffering, and Satan has lost his authority over you. And to speak that over someone, it's a, it's a proclamation of truth that has authority associated with it. And, and so when I preach to a crowd, I like to start with that. And I do it sometimes in fun ways, right? Sometimes I'll start just with, right, as you said, just Jesus, that the proclamation of Jesus's name. And it's like a clearinghouse that when people come in, they bring baggage with them. And, 
and you're clearing mm-hmm. it out or or to start with just reading John chapter one and this proclamation of the light has come in the world and the darkness has not overcome it. That you're just and I almost mm-hmm. when I start a message, a lot of times I don't even speak to the crowd. My message is starting by speaking to the demonic influence over their lives, speaking Jesus's victory over them, because when the name of Jesus is announced, they have to flee. And I do something fun that people laugh and goof off with, but you it's amazing how many times people get delivered in it. And I start mm-hmm. my messages with just having people, I say, Jesus Christ brings us. I yell, Jesus Christ brings us. And everyone has to jump out of their chair and yell freedom. And ultimately, that mm-hmm. is the charisma that Jesus Christ brings us freedom. And as testimony after testimony after testimony, the people say, when I stood up and I yelled the word freedom, something inside of me was unleashed or something mm-hmm. that was on me fell off that they, they, mm-hmm. they're actually proclaiming Jesus's freedom over them and, and a deliverance is taking place just because they've actually announced Jesus's freedom, not in some conceptual way. Oh yeah, Jesus brings freedom. No, that Jesus Christ brings me freedom that he has brought mm-hmm. me freedom and, and things just fall off initially, which is really, really powerful to see. Yeah. I think, you know, growing up and my experience in, in America and Christianity, the gospel was always proclaimed more as an individual thing and almost as a, as a transaction, you know, like Jesus has done something for you and you can kind of receive that and make it your own and you know, it was usually said, like, make him Lord, you know, like, make him Lord of your life, which is true. We do need to surrender, but we're not really making him Lord. He is <laughs> yeah. Lord, you know? And I think that's what we need to recover is the proclamation that he has won the victory, he has won the battle, and we are free to enter into his kingdom, you know, as the prayer says, the free to worship him without fear. You know, Paul's message to the Gentiles really was, hey, Jesus has defeated these dark powers that enslaved you to idolatry. Like his message was like, up until Jesus, like you guys couldn't worship God (laughs) because you were enslaved to idols. And now he's broken that power and you are free. It's like that going into that town and saying, there's a new king, there's a new emperor, you know, And, and when we proclaim that victory. And now uh, some people don't realize that they have idols. They don't realize that they're worshiping idols or that they're bound until they realize that something else is possible. And I think there's, you know, there's something about our modern life. We, in America, especially, we're it's not like we're trying to claim new territory as America, right? Like we have, we have boundaries that are set and this nation has is, has already been defined. And for the most part, in our global understanding, boundaries have been set. But in Jesus's time, the Romans were trying to conquer mm. new territory. And to expand a kingdom was the primary mission often of the king. And that's the, the context that Jesus Christ, the king, has come into, that this is a kingdom that he is expanding and he is claiming territory. And to understand that he wants to claim the territory of my life, it, it shifts everything there. Are, and there are things that have claimed, have claimed my life that don't deserve. They're a weaker enemy that doesn't deserve my life. And to allow Jesus to claim, to claim that. 
And I think sometimes that is the element of making Jesus Lord is, is, is allowing him to take that claim of our life, right? To almost submit mm-hmm. to his lordship or to his kingship. And it's, but as we started the show with, it's not a submission that is a prayer so that I get into heaven, right? Like Jesus, I make you Lord of my life mm-hmm. so that I have some kind of get into heaven for free card. But it's, it's an actual submitting to him as the king of my life, as the Lord of my life, that as, as we started the show, talking about this exchange of lives, that I no longer live to advance my kingdom and my comfort kingdom, but I live to advance his comfort kingdom. And one of the things when I share the gospel, and I think, because like the last two, three years, as you said, Matt, like you wrestle with these things that become commonplace. I've been wrestling with like, what is the gospel? Mm-hmm. And how do we share the gospel in the most effective way that is efficacious, that when the gospel is proclaimed, the gospel is actually manifested in people's lives. Uh, and all of my study and on all of my listening to different preachers preach the gospel and how's the gospel proclaimed? How's the good news shared with others? How do we sh- suggest sharing the kerygma? What I notice is so few people, actually, I've noticed no one preach the gospel like Jesus preaches the gospel. When I went back to the gospels, mm-hmm. I was like, Jesus, I want to know, what did? how did you do it? And you see in Matthew chapter four, it says, Jesus went into every town and village, into all the synagogues, and he preached the gospel. And when he preached the gospel, it says that all who were sick or demon possessed were set free. And hmm. so when he preached, something happened. The kingdom was released. Mark, you see, it says that when Jesus preached the gospel, this is what he would say. He would say, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And I just started diving into these four elements. The time is fulfilled. Mm. And that is a proclamation that people need to hear. That the Savior has come. The Jewish people were waiting for the Messiah, the anointed one, to set them free. And I feel like so often we buy into this lie as modern day Christians that we are waiting for the Messiah still. That the, the, the Savior hasn't come, right? Mm-hmm. Well, when I die then I'll be set free in heaven. No, the time is fulfilled. The Savior has come. The Messiah is here. And then the kingdom of God is at hand. And Paul was preaching the kingdom. Jesus preached the kingdom. And Paul says to the Romans, the kingdom is not a matter of eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That when the kingdom comes, people experience righteousness, peace, and joy. And so to be able to to proclaim that Jesus has come and the kingdom is at hand. It's tangible. I can feel it. And so if I can feel something, if something's at hand, it's near, it's it's dear. And if the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy, what Jesus wants to offer to me today, right now, is righteousness, right orderness with him. It's peace and it's joy. And as I think about it, every person, the greatest sign of deliverance is if there's righteousness, peace, and joy in your life. Those are The demonic influences of sin and addiction, righteousness sets us free from that. The demonic influence of anxiety and fear and concern from others, peace sets us free from that. The demonic influences of of darkness and depression, joy sets us free from that. It's amazing. The righteousness, peace, and joy, that is what the kingdom is. And the kingdom, that's what you experience when you experience freedom. And And then Jesus gives us the answer. So if you want righteousness, peace, and joy, right? If the kingdom's at hand, how do I experience the kingdom? Well, he teaches us. He says, well, repent and believe in the gospel. And this element of repentance, I think, is is such a a key in deliverance ministry or to, to be set free that 
often isn't preached in our context today because we've we've allowed repentance to be seen as something as negative. And so the preacher or the priest, mm-hmm. we don't want to we don't want to say repent because it sounds negative, but repentance is a joyful thing. It mm-hmm. is allowing our lives to fall under the lordship of Jesus or the victory of Jesus to say, I submit to your victory, Jesus. I submit to you that you have won this. And I, I, I submit to this. I submit, I'm not going to fight this battle on my own. You've already fought the battle and I submit to that. You know, I think of this idea of scripture. We often say, we quote this, the scripture where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But I, the, the, the best translation of that is where the spirit is Lord, there is freedom. That when we submit to, to the mm. spirit's lordship and his victory, we actually, that's when we find the freedom that's won. Yeah, that's awesome. We often in Unbound, you know, we yeah. have five keys. And one of the things that's difficult for the leaders is often that first key of repentance and faith. You know, so it's easier to name the enemies, renounce and and see the hurts and forgive. But that repentance, that change of mind that leads to a changed life, or even just leading someone to surrender. A lot of people don't know how to do it. A lot of our priests retreats, we teach priests who are pastors who have never really led any, they're like, how do I actually lead someone in a prayer to surrender? How do I actually help them express sorrow, you know, and turn from sin? So it really, we call it the forgotten key sometimes, (laughs) like, you know, people just feel uncomfortable with it. And the other thing I want to point out is like, maybe you'll downplay this a little bit, but there is a little bit of discomfort in proclaiming the gospel as here. You know, like it's so much easier sometimes to talk about the gospel in terms of what Jesus did in the past or even what Jesus will do in the future. You know, so we can put all our hope in, uh, well, Jesus did this once. And, you know, or, or we might say, well, if we pray for a revival, maybe this will happen. You know, but to actually stand in front of people and say, I believe that the kingdom of God, the power of God is here present right now to change your life. You're putting yourself in a in a more risky position, you know, because it's like those apostles who are like, you know, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus walk. You're you're putting yourself in a more vulnerable position because if God does not perform, <laughs> you don't have <laughs> the ability to make it happen. You you have to trust. And so I think a lot of times we just default to the past or the future as opposed to a gospel proclamation that's yeah we speak of, now, we, we almost speak you know? of the gospel but, as a theory as opposed to an invitation to experience freedom and and that's not that's not what Jesus mm-hmm. did it's it's there was proclamation followed by demonstration but the reason the demonstration happened was because because the proclamation was one was spoken with authority and the authority you know there had been false prophets that had come but when Jesus said that the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, the people there, they believed it. They, they, the way he spoke mm-hmm. it, the way he proclaimed freedom to the captives, they said, yes, they, like, yes, you are, you are the kingdom. And when, when you speak that as having authority and then you give them the instruction to repent, they understand it. And it's not... It is. It's funny because repentance is such an interesting thing. And it's one of those words I'm wrestling with right now and studying because it's how do you, so often we think of repentance of just an examination of conscience. 
but it's it's sure. it's so much more than that it's actually an invitation into the very lifestyle of Jesus that I'm coming into agreement that I'm I'm allowing my will and my mind and my heart to come into agreement with who you are that anything that was not of you mm-hmm. and of your kingdom I'm walking away from that and I'm I'm submitting myself into agreement with you like in in your mind your heart your your vision for life and and when you turn away it's almost you've turned away from the lies right you're turning away from those strongholds that of the world the flesh and the devil to say this is what life should be or this is what life is and you're saying no I'm actually renouncing that and I'm moving into this lifestyle of Jesus and submitting myself to something that in faith may not make much sense that I may have even seen it yet. And that there's something about that, that allows those strongholds just to fall off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I, I think what's sometimes you need an example. Mm. Sometimes you need a model. You need to see another disciple doing it before yeah. you can see that that's possible. Yeah. It's like someone needs to speak up. Someone needs yeah. to say, yes, Lord, I believe, I also think- you know. Do you have any stories you could share about people who have been set free, you know, uh, hearing yeah, you and know, responding I think to the gospel? What I find most naturally is I've been, as I've been sharing about, you know, the kingdom of God is, is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, that so often as you cast out anything that's not uh, of righteousness, like shame and condemnation and guilt, those things fall off of people and a spirit of righteousness will fall on them. That they're there's um, mm-hmm. the the proclamation of the word. I see it most often as o- oppression. That so you know the difference between uh, that. So so many times we have these oppressive evil spirits that just kind of attach themselves to us. Uh, a spirit of tiredness or a spirit of uh, discouragement, a spirit of anxiety that they they feel like they're these deep seated strongholds, but they're just things that are on us that need to fall off of us. And the way that mm-hmm. people most often express this is, you know, like I felt this fall off of me, or I felt like I could breathe again for the first time. I felt like myself mm-hmm. again. And um, the, but it is, it's just a matter of as, as you preach the gospel that the kingdom of is at hand, and then you pray for righteousness, peace, and joy to fall. And you cast out these things that are not of, of those fruits, anxiety and depression and sorrow and sadness, those things just fall off of people. Uh, it's it, To me, it's so amazing how often, as I said earlier, just as, as people say Jesus Christ brings us freedom, the things fall off of them. And my wife was preaching this weekend on a women's retreat. What was the word that she said? She said, you don't have to, you don't have to be unchained to be loved by the Father. But when you receive the love of the mm. Father, the chains will fall off. And when she when she That's preached right. that word, um, there was multiple women in the audience who experienced something deeply. And they came up and, and they said to her, I literally felt chains falling off from that word. And I think the reason my wife saw fruitfulness or efficacious preaching there was because it was a word that had become real in her life, that she had she had chains that were surrounding her and she was tr- she felt unloved because of the chains she had but when she realized the chains weren't the barrier to love but that she just embraced his love even being chained that's when the chains fell off 
And so I think sometimes the the fruitfulness from our, our ministry comes when we ourselves have been delivered. And it's really hard for us to see the fruitfulness when I'm chained to be able to preach that freedom. Um, and, and so because of that, I speak of it more as a theory and a practice and a concept that's in the past or the future, if you said, Matt, as opposed to a here now reality, because maybe I haven't experienced that here now reality in my own life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wrote in my book that we we need to be loved into holiness. Shame can't. Yeah. Shame can't get you there. <laughs> you know, and so if you make your focus the chains and you you're just trying to scratch and claw at these chains, you realize how strong they are, and the reason they're strong is because the love of God has mm. not pierced the darkness. But when the love of God pierces the darkness, it, yeah. it becomes quite simple. <laughs> you just say yes. You just say yes. You know what's interesting as well go. that I've I've as I've been praying on how do we share the gospel most effectively, Jesus shares about the, um, you know, he says, when you cast a demon out, you have to pray that the house will be filled, lest the demon will come back. And and so often um, we proclaim the freedom and the victory won by Jesus Christ, but we don't proclaim the good news of the Holy Spirit. And and so you see so many people, these these evangelists who are proclaiming the gospel, they speak the charisma beautifully that Jesus Christ has set us free from sin. And, and then they, as you said, they encourage this lordship of Jesus in their lives. And I think deliverance is happening in a person's life, but then post-event or post-experience, they're not transformed, right? Their life isn't transformed. And it's because the promise mm-hmm. of the Holy Spirit and the gift of the Holy Spirit wasn't followed by the proclamation of the victory. And so when we, when we share the victory one in Jesus— the fullness, and I, when Jesus says, repent and believe in the gospel, I think we have to understand that the, the good news of the gospel and to believe in the gospel isn't just that Jesus Christ has, has suffered and died for us and that he has risen from the dead and he has set us free from these things. But Jesus Christ, he loved us so much that he gave us the gift of his own divine life. And that's what transforms us. The, the, the gift right. of the Holy Spirit is the divine life of Jesus, that righteousness, peace, and joy aren't things I muster up in myself that Paul says the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is peace. The Holy Spirit is joy. The Holy Spirit is righteousness. And Paul, he's like, you can't do these things on your, you couldn't live righteousness on your own because the law by itself is not freeing. It doesn't transform you. It's the Holy Spirit. He's what transforms you. And so the fullness of the gospel has to proclaim the gift of the Holy Spirit and lead to this reception of the mm-hmm. Holy Spirit. So the house is full. And once the house gets filled, those things yeah. that you've been delivered from, they lose their authority to come back. And I, f- I find that um, it so often the Holy Spirit is the missing component of the gospel proclamation. And this is why we see people have these mm-hmm. moments of grace but not a life of grace. The moment hasn't found the transformation that's only found in the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I think a lot of believers see themselves as acquitted, Yeah, but not reborn. They're walking around as, I've been forgiven, but they still identify themselves as, you know, worthless sinners, uh, powerless, helpless, just in constant need of of mercy, but not filled with the power yeah. to actually make you a new creature, that you, you're actually capable of walking in righteousness. You're capable of walking 
in goodness and and peace and power. And um, yeah, the Holy Spirit needs to well, needs to be. And that's front kind of the cool thing about sure. this exchange of lives that we talked about because it's not it's different than the exchange of persons that happens in in marriage, right? Like where. I give myself to my wife, I give my life to her and she gives her life to me, but we remain ourselves. Whereas mm-hmm. the new life in Christ Jesus is I'm transformed. The holiness isn't about doing, it's about becoming. I become another Christ. It's it's a new mm-hmm. creation. I get When I give myself to him and he gives himself to me, I become the anointed one with him. And that it's, it's a transformed life uh, uh, through grace that is I think so often, as you said, yeah, misunderstood. We we remain weak as opposed to powerful. Yeah. So how have you seen your your missionaries? How have you seen their lives transformed? Yeah, that's beautiful. Proclamation. You know, I think um, you alluded to it earlier. Uh, the, the the priest uh, like was moved by their worship. Um, our worship mm-hmm. is dedicated. We, we're a worshiping community, and our worship is dedicated to. Um, to repenting and to making him sovereign in our lives and to giving him the glory that he is due. And, and I think as, as we, as you go before the living God and worship him day after day, you just live in a time where things just constantly are falling off, you know, cause the reality is as transformed as I am, things get, get on me again through, through the, the war, you know, you can't go into battle and not get a few bumps and bruises. And so um, I think it's those moments of worship that are are our um, linchpin to um, ongoing freedom. And I see mm-hmm. I see that it's also done in community. And I don't I don't know why, but I think one area where, especially you know, that I, I'm noticing a difference between um, Protestants and Catholics is a lot of times Catholics we strive to to live a life of holiness and a life of um, striving to be transformed and free by ourselves. Whereas there's so often in Protestant communities, they see, they see this more as a communal gathering together, crying out for freedom and crying. And, um, and it's not Mm -hmm. that the Catholics don't have an actual deep communal theology, because of course we do, but this individual pursuit is, I, I just find there's something in the communal pursuit that is so powerful that when I, when we repent together as a community, like, you know, like there's repentance and confession that's one-on-one with a priest that's, that is so powerful and bears so much fruit. But there's also something about repentance as a community that you're crying out together, returning to the Lord that, mm. that bears fruit forth uh, power. And 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 then crying out for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. together as a community. That that's Pentecost was a communal act, right? And so to cry out for that gift of the Holy Spirit together, God responds to that in a powerful way. And so one of the things that what we're just seeing in the missionaries' lives is they're not doing it by themselves. They're doing it together. And they have personal mm-hmm. prayer lives, right? And they have individual uh, daily time with the Lord and daily communion with him, but there's also the communal uh, dynamic. And I think you need both in the Christian life. Uh, you yeah. see the early church having both. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I think there's really a lot of power and grace given to the both and. That's amazing. I think that's a really good word for right now. I think a lot of people give up because they're doing it alone. And 
you know, the gifts are not distributed equally. <laughs> They're all throughout the body of Christ. We're meant to receive from each other. I think there's a lot of, of yeah. walls that we need to let come down so that that can happen. I mean, the scriptures weren't written to individuals. They, most of the Paul's letters were to churches, you know, to communities. And uh, we can't, exactly. can't respond just on our own. Last question. What's God speaking to you about lately? What's, what's the last, <laughs> uh, the last thing he told, thing he told me? You know, um, I shared a little bit just this this uh, idea of reclaim, reclaiming the young generation. It's been on, on my heart mm-hmm. that the young generation has already been claimed by Jesus. And we're, we're living in partnership with him. And the, I guess what, not to allow our own ministries to become the very thing that stop God from working. Um, that as I, as I've mm. been praying, like, Lord, I, I want us to reclaim this lost generation and we're crying out to reclaim this lost generation. I noticed, and I, I was convicted that I was, I was praying this from a Damascus perspective and I wanted Damascus to reclaim the lost generation. And I had to repent from that because no, it's Jesus who's going to reclaim the lost generation. And Jesus doesn't care at all about my brand. <laughs> and he doesn't care about our little, and, and right. I was like, oh my gosh, there, there is a move that God is doing right now <laughs> in the church to reclaim this lost generation. And that move includes us. It includes Life Teen. It includes Focus. It includes St. Paul's Outreach. It includes YWAM. It includes all these different apostolates who God has said, your mission is the youth. And if if we don't see uh, and we don't pray for them and we don't work with them and we don't collaborate with them and we don't strategize together, then we're an army fighting with with one arm as opposed to a full body. And and, um, and so I think just this mm. repentance from any um, any spirit of individualism that has come into my life and into our community's life where we rely on God use me, but God didn't say, Hey, I want to, he has chosen us, but he has chosen us corporately as well, that he has chosen me individually and, and us corporately. And to realize that the, the church is going to be, is an army that is um, working together and an army of lone rangers uh, is never going to win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good word. We need to be yeah. a family. We need to be one for sure. Dan, thank you so much. Uh, would you would you just pray for our audience? Yeah. And, and, in the name of the Father, uh, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you so much for the gift of every listener. I thank you for the victory that you have won for them. And Lord, I just pray that your victory would reign right now and that everyone listening who whose hearts were convicted, that they wanted Jesus's victory, your victory over their life. I just pray that freedom and that victory to come. Any chains just fall right now in Jesus' name. Come, Holy Spirit. I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fill the hearts of the faithful, that you would free them from all things that are not of this kingdom, and that you would fill them with righteousness, peace, and joy right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, Holy Spirit. Amen. Yeah. Thank you, Matt. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you'd like to learn more about taking hold of the freedom you have been given in Christ, check out our website, heartofthefather.com, and find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. This is Matt, Jen, Rachel, and Jacqueline saying goodbye until next time.
Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him. And he with me. Revelation 3.20 